Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. A new member for the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, or SCO, and more in the pipeline. During the latest meeting of the Council of Heads of State, the SCO's top decision-making body, Iran becomes its ninth member state, and relevant procedure is launched to add Belarus as the next in the line. The SCO was set up in 2001 by China, Russia, and four Central Asian countries, namely Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan. In 2017, India and Pakistan became full members. With the addition of Iran, SCO members now cover over 60% of the Eurasian landmass, over 40% of the world's total population, and 30% of the world's GDP. At the meeting on Tuesday, Chinese President Xi Jinping delivered a virtual address offering his congratulations to Iran and Belarus. He also called on SCO members to bring more certainty and positive energy to world peace and development, to which end he made five proposals. How will these developments contribute to regional peace and security? What can the new members bring to the group and vice versa? And how are regional countries reacting to the proposals China is making? I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing by Rongying, Vice President of the China Institute of International Studies. Studies, and from Almaty, Kazakhstan, by Bayan Kornyebayev, head of Almaty City Department of Digitalization. Gentlemen, welcome to the point. First of all, Professor Rong, let me go to you. What does joining the SCO mean for Iran? I mean, Iranian President uh, Ibrahim Raisi said on Tuesday that his country's full membership in the SCO will bring historical benefits. He said that the SCO is currently in a position that can open up new horizons in terms of regional convergence and security, ensuring cooperation. What exactly does he mean? Let me first of all welcome I. Iran to be the full member of the SCO. I, I think this is a very significant uh, development in term in in SCO and also I think for Iran's uh, foreign policy or diplomacy. Uh, as we know that uh, SCO started with the so-called Shanghai Five and gradually expanded by incorporating uh, the uh, more and more countries. Uh, you mentioned about 2017 uh, the. The expansion or the inclusion of two important uh, countries, regional countries, countries with global significance, India and Pakistan. And now we once again, SEO has have one more important regional countries in West Asia, in Middle East as a whole, if I can say. And this is, of course, uh, it's a get more significance and importance for the region, uh, uh, for the organization itself. But more importantly, as we have seen that there are more waiting to come. Uh, Belarus, Russia is certainly has more or less, I think, uh, finalized the uh, necessary procedures by signing the MOUs. So next year we're expecting their coming. But there are many others waiting to be joined either as a, a dialogue partners, observers. So this is very good for the for SEO itself, but more importantly for the region as a whole, as talking about Eurasia is facing a lot of uncertainties, challenges, but more importantly, I think it also many opportunities as we have seen that uh, 
if I talk about the Iran's significance, we're talking about the recent diplomatic uh, sort of uh, gestures, reconciliation with Saudis and others. So I would expect SEO uh, is now enter a new era, new stage, not only in terms of the expansion of the members, but more importantly, I think it's influence. I think its positions and the roles that it play in ensuring peace, stability and development in Eurasia and the world at large. Mr. Konyebayev, what is your take on the significance of joining the SCO for Iran and the contribution Iran can bring to the SCO? Thank you very much, Lucien, for this question. For me, it's like it's very significant. Why? Because like since 2017, as you said, when India and Pakistan becomes a member of SCO, it was almost six years where was no new members in this organization. And currently we see that, I will say like one of the biggest opinion leaders in Middle West Asia, Iran, becomes a member of SCO. It means uh, that the whole idea with Shanghai Cooperation of Organization uh, shows uh, and proves uh, the certain development, the certain significance and the certain importance in that direction and what is really important is that uh, Iran itself is a very big culturally oriented country so when we're talking about SEO we now we're saying that the whole Asia become uh, the part of something big and this organization like uh, covers almost every uh, country in Asia and uh, it means that after cultural development part, we will be able to make the kind of economical development uh, direction afterwards. So Iran, of course, uh, as I said, in six years, in the last six years, is going to be the new, this is like uh, the tenth new member of SCO. And in my opinion, it will bring more significant to the whole SCO in, in not only in the region, but in the whole world. Um, Professor Rong, the Middle East countries, as you mentioned, they have shown growing interest, um, especially during recent years. Uh, Turkey signed up as a partner to SEO in 2012. Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, Egypt and Saudi Arabia became dialogue partners um, in 2021 and 2022. Now Iran is a full member. What's driving the trend of more Middle Eastern countries or where West Asian countries trying to join this group that's originally conceived among Central and East Asian countries. Well, one East Asia country, that's China. That's a great question. I think what makes SEO so appealing or so attractive to Middle East countries, to the, the countries you mentioned, which I think they have also very uh, strong and, and uh, established uh, relations or partnerships with uh, other major countries or other major regional uh, or groups. But why SEO is so attractive, so appealing to them? First and foremost, I think it is because SEO is a different, it's a new kind of regional organization, upholding, pursuing kind of what we call the Shanghai spirit, featuring mutual trust, mutual respect, mutual benefit, consultations, and respect for the diversity of, uh, cult, uh, of, of different uh, civilizations and promote common development. So look, you look at the, the, these elements of the Shanghai spirit, look at the, the, the visions of Shanghai, of Shanghai uh, uh, SEO, 
one would naturally reach the conclusion this is the, the really re regional organizations i think they want, want to be associated with want to uh, be part of that that is the most important thing secondly i think that past 20 years and more after seo has been established has demonstrated that the spirit is working is delivering is helping them to ensure security to promote development and more importantly help them to increase their regional profile or to build a stable uh, uh, environment or to help them to find a way to address their differences that makes i think seo different that makes seo more appealing and more attractive to other candidate members of in the region and beyond Mr. Konibayev, uh, in terms of regional peace, Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed that uh, we as SCO members should maintain regional peace and safeguard common security. What do you think he means by the word common security? How does uh, mem other member countries such as Kazakhstan perceive the kind of common security that, uh, that uh, countries in the group is faced with? Currently, there is a lot of challenges uh, related to the security. And when we, when we are talking about the security, basically, according to the like uh, real status now, uh, it's coming because of lack of communication. That is a very big problem, and especially on geopolitical level. So uh, the idea with SEO, it means that we have very good opportunity to communicate with each other and focus on advantages of each other to make the whole environment of this SEO geographically standard society be more stable. The second point was related uh, to the security is a new point which we're facing now uh, the point related to the cybersecurity because we need to understand the new standards, new rules, and new understanding of the world and new challenges which we are facing now. And the basic idea is to create a new rules and make it very stabilized, very sustainable in terms of not only security, but like cybersecurity and cultural security with a focus on communication, with a focus on communication and communicating with each other. Well, uh, public data show that trade between China and SEO countries have jumped significantly since the inception of this group. For instance, uh, in the first eight months of last year, trade jumped by one-fourth. That's over 25%. And that growth rate is uh, much higher than China's total foreign trade increase for the same period. Professor Rong, it's obvious that trade has boomed under the arrangement of SCO, but security measures and other not so tangible uh, collaboration, has that increased as well? Has the SCO been significant and effective in terms of security cooperation for its members? That's true. I think uh, what, uh, the SCO actually started with what we called a kind of a do uh, wield or tr tr I mean uh, uh, approach, which focusing uh, focusing on on the one hand security cooperation, and also economic and trade uh, collaboration, and the, the on the security front, uh, as as we know that it started with security cooperation, and uh, it, it uh, as a matter of fact, I think uh, if you look at the 
institution or uh, 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 I mean of a CEO. In addition to the secretariat, they, they also have a uh, we call the regional counterterrorism uh, uh, mechanism, which of course has growing and steady and in a steady way, which play a very important role in managing the. Uh, the, the security challenge, particularly, I think, uh, non-traditional security issues. But I have, having said that, we have to recognize that the security challenges, both traditional and non-traditional, are complicated. And SEO as a regional organizing for the region is yet to develop the full possibilities, for, uh, capability for that. But the potential is great and most importantly as we have noticed that taken note of that these meetings one would find that the communications has been improved and also i think these thinkings these new ideas has been practiced showing that it is possible and is practical and of course there are quite a lot to be done uh, even in terms of counterterrorism, even in terms of cross-border uh, 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 non-security issues and so on and so forth. This, at this summit, again, one would notice that there's an important, I think, uh, uh, document was signed on counter-radicalism. That reminds, of course, the one of the mission uh, uh, missions of SEO that is fighting the three evils. Uh, radicalism, counter-terrorism, and separatism. So I think this is very important. Economic trade, again, have shown a lot, have done, making a lot of progress on this regard. And of course, it's the larger because of China being the second largest economy, the great potential and huge market. But also, I think the, uh, the uh, infrastructure, I mean, the connectivity issues as we have seen. Mm, so as okay. we look ahead yeah. at this meeting, President Xi also put forward some concrete yeah. uh, steps to ensure that peace and uh, the economic and trade will okay. be virgin ahead. We have to leave it there. Many thanks to my guest, Rongying, Vice President of China Institute of International Studies, and Bayan Konyabayev, Head of Almaty City Department of Digitalization. When we come back after a short break, what's driving nearly 20 countries to want to join the BRICS. Stay tuned. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is the point. The BRICS bloc is inundated with applications. The group of five major emerging economies, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, has attracted some 20 other countries to join. After Argentina, Iran and Algeria applied last year, Egypt, Ethiopia and Bangladesh submitted their applications weeks ago, and Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates and Nigeria and more are queuing up. 
Anil Suklal, ambassador to the group from South Africa, which holds this year's BRICS presidency, said in April that 13 countries have formally asked to join and another six have asked informally. We're getting applications to join every day. Meanwhile, French President Emmanuel Macron has expressed the wish to be the first Western leader to be invited to a BRICS summit. So what's driving these countries to join the platform? What difference will it make for the group and these countries? And how will it impact the world as BRICS countries are set to contribute more to the global economy than the G7? I'm pleased to be joined from New Delhi, India by Swaran Singh, Professor of International Relations at the Jawaharlal Nehru University from Beijing by Zhang Xiaoyu, Research Fellow at the Center for BRICS Studies. The warmest welcome to both of you. Um, let me go to Professor Singh first. Um, data shows that uh, BRICS will overtake the G7, as I said, as an engine for growth. Uh, it will contribute to 32% uh, of the world's growth, while the G7 will provide less than 30% this year. That's according to Bloomberg's calculation based on latest IMF uh, data. So uh, what do you read from the data? Are we witnessing a rebalancing of world economic power? Now, very clearly, as you mentioned just now, uh, BRICS, when they started about a decade plus back, uh, they were about 10% of uh, global GDP, and now you know you can see that their contribution to global growth rates is now 30%. Uh, so they were seen as emerging economies is one of the reasons why there is an enormous interest among several nations who want to join BRICS and become part and parcel of BRICS grouping. Second important element is that this is one of those very rare international multilateral groupings that has constantly has had its summit meetings. So they have not been missing any year not to have, even during the pandemic, for example, they continue to have online summit meetings. And in none of the summit meetings ever, any of the national leaders uh, were uh, not able to join. So the consistency of their commitment to the grouping and the share in global growth rate uh, constantly, going, constantly going up uh, is clearly now uh, making BRICS, in at least purchasing power parity, a bigger grouping in terms of their collective GDP than even the advanced G7 nations. Second very important element, of course, is that China, along with its uh, being world's largest trading partner for most nations around the world, Belt and Road Initiative leading to investments around the world, China has also been the leading voice from 2017 when we heard from uh, Wang Yi talking about uh, BRICS Plus as a possibility, Friends of BRICS possibility, BRICS outreach then became a reality. China has been a leading voice in you know, thinking of expansion of BRICS. More recently, Russia has also added their voice because of the Western sanctions and Ukraine war. They also, Russia would like to expand the, the support base in that sense. And the BRICS nations is one such platform, which is a strong uh, support base mm. for Russia. So in yeah. that sense, because both China and Russia are, you know, really interested in getting more members in. And of course, this is a very effective and emerging grouping is why all other nations wish to you know, also join BRICS as soon as they can. And hopefully there is uh, there, there are reports that maybe five countries, Saudi Arabia, uh, Indonesia, yeah. UAE, Egypt and Argentina may mm -hmm. join in the summit meeting in August. 
So uh, let me go to Ms. Zhang for more uh, technical explanation, perhaps. What exactly does joining the BRICS or the platform mean for these countries? How loose or how closely knit is the organization? And what could explain the motivations of the nearly 20 countries that are very interested? Thank you for having me here today. I think uh, for China, we uh, really consider BRICS block has uh, opened an inclusive mechanism for all countries of the world to join. And for these uh, applicants, we can see that all these countries are from the developing worlds. So it is clear that these countries are expecting more efficient governance institutions or probably a chance to meet the challenge of the monopoly of Western financial institutions and also the government uh, governance structures uh, for such a long time. So for developing world or the global south, we actually expecting more uh, developing opportunities and also meet the challenges currently in the world, especially climate change, food crisis, and also the great demand of the development of the economy. So for these applicants, they want to be a member of a, a, a BRICS block. Uh, that means that the world is going to be more uh, inclusive and a multi, uh, a sort of a multipolar uh, economic structure for all of us to uh, see more promising and a prosperity in these applicants, also the developing world. So right now, let me stay with you, Ms. Zhang, because you uh, specialize in this field and with more uh, probable insight can share with us on, on how the system works. I mean, what specific benefits and uh, uh, expertise can members extract from this platform that is dominated by developing countries? Uh, we have, for instance, G20, which includes both developing countries and developed countries. We have the United Nations with its various mechanism. What makes, what sets the BRICS apart from the other platforms? Uh, for BRICS, uh, we have some specialty that all of the membership member countries at the moment are from the developing world. I think uh, that is a message to the developed world that we developing countries or the global south need a platform or a consensus or a sort of a, a common solution to meet the challenge of the current world. And also for the developing countries, we are expecting more opportunities from uh, economic sports. For instance, the new development Bank. It has been founded in uh, 2012. That has been more than a decade. So uh, these countries now need more opportunities and also financial support to develop the local economies. And also the local currencies will be uh, encouraged to use by the, uh, the, the, the finance support from the NDB. So uh, in this uh, situation of a de-dollarization at the moment, so these developing countries actually are expecting more more financial independence and also diplomatic independence in this BRICS block. Professor Singh, what is your take? Do you, how important is the prospect of de-dollarization um, for the members that are eyeing membership? I think very clearly, uh, you know, recent years have noticed a certain dichotomy emerging. Uh, Russia, China and the BRICS and uh, SCO and some of these groupings being seen uh, at variance, if not in opposition to uh, mostly U.S.-led Western groupings. And therefore, there is a sense at least to, you know, restrain that inordinate power that dollar has had. Uh, even now, for example, 80, 80%, 88% actually 
of global trade still happens in uh, in US dollar terms. About 60% of global uh, uh, foreign exchange reserves are still in dollar terms. But there has constantly been efforts to make sure that United States doesn't kind of weaponize that advantage uh, in some time, for example, punishing other countries like we are seeing sanctions on Russia right now. So that sense of uh, ensuring balance and restraint has led to initiatives before. For example, Euro in European Union case was also an effort earlier like this. And now, of course, BRICS for quite some time has been debating on at least beginning with increasing use of local currencies. And then, of course, building some kind of consensus, if possible, on if there can be a BRICS currency. But that's a, that's a huge challenge because if you look at the size of economies within BRICS, China's economy is roughly, if I'm not exaggerating, three times rest of the all of them put together. So in that sense, there is always some kind of a concern that other nations may have of that inordinate size and influence and power that leverage that China has. And in that sense, whether yuan or, you know, some other currency should actually potentially replace or at least become a parallel uh, currency for uh, international trading. But let me also underline BRICS is increasingly emerging as a successful example, if there is any example, which can withstand pressures of uh, dollarization in terms of at least already BRICS nations expanding a substantial amount of their trade between themselves at bilateral level, if not in multilateral format, using local currencies. There are some issues in that, for example, right. Indian and Russian yeah. trade in rupees. But if there is any alternative, I think BRICS is a great possibility here, but it's an uphill task. It's okay. not, be, not going to be an easy thing to de-dollarize. Okay. Um, Ms. Zhang, what is your take? Some people are saying BRICS countries share dislike of the greenback, but there are fundamental differences, quote-unquote, I mean, among the BRICS that are too wide to bridge. Actually, from geography and also political systems, so we have um, much divergences and also how to make an efficient institution uh, for this BRICS block. We have many ideas. Currently, we're under negotiations. Actually, it is very promising from my perspective that uh, we have a common consensus for development and also independence in diplomatic and economic decisions. So that is why we are here today in the common platform to see a better future, rather than to live under the monopoly of the financial and governance institutions hmm. what? in the current world. Yeah, Ms. Zhang, again, very briefly, 20 seconds if you can. What do you make of the French president's interest in getting invited as the first Western leader to be invited to a BRIC summit? Actually, uh, we are very glad to see the independent diplomacy from uh, France. And uh, we can see that Western leaders are not just uh, under the monopoly of the uh, US-led governance institution. Okay. So uh, Emmanuel Macron's coming will have a very great encouragement for the developing world that we have much more space to explore in uh, cooperation. All right. We have to leave it there. Many thanks to Professor Swaran Singh joining us from India and Zhang Xiaoyu joining us here in Beijing. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point.